0: that grips you with fright, cause the raging wind is howling like a beast, and the rain pounds without cease. In the darkness I stood alone, with nothing but my thoughts to roam, as lightning flashed across the sky, illuminating fears that I felt and I could not deny. In the middle of the storm's fierce might, I felt a stirring, an urge to take flight, escape the night and leave behind what held me tight, and chase my dreams and win the fight. But the winds and rain clung hard to me while I tried and tried to set myself free from the darkness, from the secrets, and from the unknown. Or could I make the storm my own? Was there a way to figure it out? Beyond a doubt, a way out. I looked about, but I couldn't see a way out. I couldn't break free, but then a light came looking for me. It was that light that set me free from the storm that roared inside of me. He was that light, a shining light, that light who brought me hope and helped me to ignite a fire that would burn so bright and make all right my dark and stormy night. Storylines. Write Good Things.
1: This morning we want to look at a story, actually stories, of four people, four regular people, four people very much like you and I, two men and two women, who actually were all part of the same friend group. They were four friends who experienced life together, but they are also four friends who experienced an incredible tragedy together, and yet individually. See, there was actually a fifth friend who was part of their friend group. In fact, that was the friend who kind of brought them all together. He he was the common thread. But that fifth friend died unexpectedly. And it wasn't just that he died. He had actually been murdered. But before we discuss the details of this story, I thought it would be good for us just for a few moments to introduce these four friends so that we know a little bit about their story going into it. The first one was named Pete. He was one of the dead man's closest friends. The two did just about everything together. Pete was married, the, the, the victim was not, but, but they spent as much time as they could together. Pete was a laborer, he actually worked in the family business along with his brother. Pete was a guy with a lot of personality. You knew when he was in the room. He was fun to be around, he was passionate. Some people thought he was a little bit opinionated. Maybe he was a little unpredictable. But hey, he had a good heart. That was Pete. Then there was a second friend. Her name was Mary. She was also a close friend of the victim. She was a person of some means, which was a little bit surprising when you knew her story and her her backstory. But her friend, the victim, had helped her overcome all that. He had reached out to her when everybody else had given up on her. He was the one who saw something in her, and he made a huge difference in her life. She would be forever grateful, and she would be forever loyal. The third friend was named Tom, and he was probably not the first guy that you would notice when you walked into the room, unless Tom's brother was there, and then you would realize that Tom was actually a twin. And actually, he went by that nickname. They just called him the twin. And maybe not a flattering nickname either, because it's like, hey, this is your brother, and then this is you, the twin. And so while his brother was maybe more of a lead guy, he was more of the background guy, but he was a thinker, and he was the one who kind of studied things and, and kind of thought through things, and he was the one who might ask a question. Some would describe him as cautious and thoughtful. There was one other friend, her name was also Mary. She was a little older than the other, three, in fact, maybe old enough to be their mother, because actually that's what's her connection to these other three friends. It was her son who was friends with them, and she got to know them through her son. And anyhow, these four people knew each other, and on various occasions, they spent time together. And so hopefully it's a little bit helpful that's where we're going to know a little bit about these four friends. But we need to talk about the victim as well. He was a popular, at least well-known figure. Some would even called him a celebrity, although he would have been the first to say, no, 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 not me, and he wouldn't have wanted the attention. In fact, would have pushed back on that, but he had it. Interestingly, he was a polarizing figure. A lot of people loved him. Some people felt the opposite, but nobody really felt neutral about him. But one thing you could say about this guy, the the fifth friend, he was the real deal. He was authentic. He he was who he said he was, and and what you see, what you saw was what you got. And for his friends, it was really hard for them to understand why anybody would dislike him. And yet other people felt anger towards him, and and maybe some jealousy. Maybe it was because he was somehow different, and, and maybe he made them feel uncomfortable because of that. He did have some definite beliefs, and not everybody agreed with those beliefs when he shared them. Maybe it was that those people felt threatened by him. But there have been some confrontations. There had been some animosity, at least in one direction. And then one night, things got a little bit out of hand. His detractors decided to take him down, so so they rallied the troops, and, and they spread some lies, and they got people riled up, and they pulled together a posse, a lynch mob, and they went out that night in search of this man, who they considered an adversary, and they found him, and they dragged him into town where he was surrounded by this crazy mob by that point and they were hurling insults and accusations and they even brought in some civil authorities and they conducted a quick trial where he was condemned, called guilty. It was all to make things look legitimate and legal, but it was really just vigilante justice. And then they herded him out of town And they hung them from a tree. The four friends had all been there that night, but they were forced to watch from the shadows. There was nothing that they could do to to repel and to turn back the crowd. And they watched this scene unfold, and they all had different vantage points and different viewpoints. But they had been powerless to stop it. And they were overcome, I think, by what they witnessed. And they each alone walked home Lost in their thoughts, feeling the emotions of the moment, and experiencing incredible darkness. Maybe you recognize those four friends. Maybe their names sound familiar to you. I don't know. But you've surely heard of the victim in his story. It's a familiar one, especially here at Easter, because the victim was Jesus. And he was killed by an angry, crazed mob. Mark tells this story in his gospel. and You can see this here at noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine, Vinegar, put it on his staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. But if you back up to the beginning of that passage there, that first line, at noon, darkness came over the land. Darkness came with the death of Jesus. And darkness enveloped the lives of his followers. Jesus was dead. The Messiah, they thought, maybe he wasn't. He was in the grave. Their friend was gone, and so was their hope. And they were left to deal with their own personal darkness because they had no idea how this story was going to turn out. And maybe you can kind of put yourselves in their shoes as they walked away from that scene. The thoughts that they might have had, the emotions that they might have felt in the darkness that would have wrapped itself around them. But remember, this is the story about his friends. So we want to talk about them today, and we want to talk about what they might have experienced when they walked away, because my guess is that They might have experienced some of the same emotions that you have experienced in your life because the truth is we all experience darkness At sometimes. We all have those moments where inside of us we feel lost, we feel alone, we feel like the world is crashing in, and sometimes we just feel darkness. Now, the Bible actually tells us very little about three of these four friends. The exception, of course, would be Peter, Thomas, Mary, and the other Mary. We don't really know that much about them. But in the case of all four, we actually know nothing about the days that immediately followed the crucifixion. Other than that, they really had no idea what was happening. But this morning, I want to encourage us to actually imagine, for a few minutes here, imagine the trauma Imagine the emotions, the distress, maybe even the panic in the darkness that they experienced. Let's start with Mary. Mary Magdalene. We're not exactly sure where she got that title. We think it may have been Mary of Magdala, which was a a place that she might have been from. But she was a person with a dark past. The evil of the crucifixion, that evil was not new to her. She had already had encounters with darkness and evil because she had been possessed by seven spirits. But then Jesus one day set her free and her life was changed. She became a follower of Jesus, a disciple. Not one of the 12, but one of the close followers of Jesus. And she was actually a woman of means, and we're told in the Scripture that she actually helped to support and bankroll the whole operation as Jesus and his followers went through the community. But she had been there that night at the end. She had watched Jesus die, and she was there for the whole thing. Not just watched him die, watched as they took him and put him in a tomb. And then she went home. Where else would you go? To darkness. But I wonder if the darkness that she went home to was actually the darkness of loss. She'd lost a friend. She'd lost somebody that she loved. She lost somebody who had literally changed her life, and maybe you have experienced the darkness of loss as well. You've lost a friend or a family member or somebody that you loved. Maybe it's recently, maybe it's been a while, but even if it's been a while, it's still somehow raw, isn't it? and it's hard because there's that hole there. Sometimes a loss is unexpected or sudden, and sometimes that loss is expected, and we we know what's coming, and yet there's really no way to prepare for it. And you're left with grief, emotional pain, sadness, and it's kind of that roller coaster, isn't it? Where one day it's like, okay, I think I'm finally doing better, and the next day it's like, what just happened to me? And maybe as you sit here this morning, it takes you back to... A moment, a time, a person that you lost. Others can try to step in and help and encourage you, but they don't really get it, do they? And if we're honest, they're kind of there for a little while and then they kind of go their own way because they have their own lives to live and you're just left there alone. And you're left with an empty place. I recently uh, was talking to somebody who who had lost a loved one in, in the last year. I was just like, How are you doing? And the response was, well, not very well. But that's how it is when we lose somebody. And you know, there's other ways to experience loss. We can experience loss just by losing a relationship. Sometimes it's a marriage. Uh, somebody rejects us and walks away. Sometimes it's kids who, who drift off and withdraw from us. It can even be friends who walk out of our lives intentionally, who walk out of our lives unintentionally. But as you sit there this morning... Maybe you can relate to Mary who experienced this darkness of loss. Maybe you can relate to Peter. Peter experienced a darkness of his own. He's the one that we're told a little bit more about. Even that last night, what did we know about Peter? Well, he was there at the Last Supper. He he sat there and ate it with Jesus, and what did he say? He said, hey, you know what? If everybody denies you, I won't. I'll be the one who stays faithful to you. And that lasted kind of into the garden, but he fell asleep while Jesus prayed. And he did jump up and and try to defend Jesus when the soldiers came, but eventually he shrunk back. By the time that Jesus was taken to to the courtyard and the the trial started, Peter was hiding in the shadows trying to keep himself warm at the fire. Somebody said, hey, did you know him? And he's like, no, I didn't know him. And he denied Jesus once and then twice. And then a third time. And then what does it tell us? The rooster crowed. Peter remembered that big promise that he'd made that I will never, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And Luke tells us that Jesus turned around and looked at him when the rooster crowed. And you picture their eyes locking there. And that would have been the last time that Peter interacted with Jesus In fact, we're told that he walked away and that he wept bitterly. And why did he weep bitterly? Because he was experiencing the darkness of regret, of failure, of shame. He'd broken a promise. He'd let Jesus down. He'd abandoned him. This was the one who, this was his friend. They were good friends. He was going to be there. Ever felt that way where you've actually been the one to let somebody down? A lot of times we focus on the people who let us down truth be told, sometimes we're the person that lets other people down. Could be a spouse, could be a child, could be a friend, could be somebody who's depending on you. Sometimes we even let ourselves down. And we experience this regret in our life. Maybe we go back to this moment, and maybe we go back to the scene where we mistreated somebody or we spread some gossip about somebody because we were frustrated in the moment and we were going to get even with them and we made life hard for them. And now we sit and we regret Maybe it wasn't even about a relationship, it's just maybe it's about a decision that you made in the past, and as you look back now, you wish so bad that you could get that back, that you could take a mulligan somehow and say, you know what, okay, can we just get the, the, the rewind here, and you could go back and fix it, but you sit there with regret, much like Peter, and you feel the darkness. And then there was the other Mary. She had also gone to the cross that day. She was there with Mary Magdalene. It tells us that she was also there with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Her name was also uh, Mary. But Mary went to the cross, and she's probably the one that we know the least about. We are told, Matthew actually tells us, that she was the mother of James. Not James and John that you usually think of as the disciples, but another James who was actually a disciple too. She was his mother, and then John tells her that tells us that she was the wife of Clopas. I want you to remember that name because we're going to come back to it. But she and Mary Magdalene, they had all been there at the end. But what was the darkness that she experienced, do you think? Well, I have to wonder if she stood there at the cross and watched this. It wasn't her son dying, but she's referred to as a mother. She's referred to as a wife. And I wonder what she experienced at that time and what struck her was the injustice of it all. You ever watch somebody that you loved, especially like a kid or a mate or whatever, go through a really, really hard time? And there's nothing you can do about it except you just watch it happen. And you wish you could intervene somehow and you can't. And you just feel and experience that darkness. She knew he wasn't a criminal. Everybody knew Jesus wasn't a criminal. Pilate knew it. The centurion knew it. Even the thief who hung on the cross next to him knew it. And yet the injustice was done. We see a lot of injustice in our world, don't we? And we watch it on the news play out, and it affects us. We watch stories of what happened in in Tennessee a week, two weeks ago. And we're like, why? Why does this kind of stuff happen and, and keep happening? And we watch it in all different forms, too. I got a voicemail yesterday from Francis Kanubi, who is the director of the Salama School for the Blind, where last uh, fall, nine of their blind students who already are suffering the injustice of blindness were killed in a fire. And you look at that and you're like, wow, what is, what is with the injustice in this world? And we feel that. We see people who live in poverty and struggle to get out, and, and maybe that bothers you, and it probably should. And we... Feel that darkness. And we see people who suffer because of the thoughtlessness of others, and we see people whose their their world collapses, and it's not because of anything that they've done, it just happens to them. And people are wrongfully treated, and then at the same time, we see people who are the ones who treat people wrong, and somehow they come out ahead. When it's all done, they act poorly and they get rewarded. Sometimes we even experience the injustice ourselves, and maybe you have sat in that seat. Where it's something that somebody else has done, and you were the one who took the blame, or you were the one who took the fall, and you are the one who are suffering the consequences, and it's injustice. And maybe this morning, as you sit here, you can relate to this Mary and say, "You know what? I have experienced the darkness of injustice." And then there's this last guy, Thomas. We don't actually know Thomas's name. Did you realize that? Thomas is the Aramaic word for, are you ready, twin. And we'll say, well, he also shows up in, in you know, the, the New Testament as Didymus. Well, that would be the Greek word for twin. So he was never, we don't actually know his name. Legend says that his name was Judas, which if that's the case, it would have been really confusing because there would have been three Judases in the disciple group. So maybe that's why he went with twin. I'm not sure. But he was one of the 12, and we don't see or hear much of him other than a couple times in the book of John he speaks up because he seems to be the one who kind of takes everything in and then makes a statement or then asks a question because he's trying to understand. He seems to be a thinker, or we call him sometimes a doubter, especially after the crucifixion. We don't even have any record of him that night making it past the arrest. We don't know if he went to the trials, the crucifixion, But we do get an idea of what his darkness was. His darkness was doubt. Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah, and yet he never set up the kingdom. In fact, he'd just been killed. The Son of God had just died, and that didn't make any sense. So maybe he'd gotten it all wrong. And my guess is that Thomas' faith was shattered, and as he walked away from the scene, he was just shaking his head like, believe this? Why? I obviously got this all wrong, and I wonder if he didn't walk away at the same time feeling like, Jesus, man, that was a big letdown. And even when the disciples later told Thomas that Jesus had resurrected, they was like, "Nah, there's no chance, because he'd already gone past whatever point of return there might have been. And for many of us, we experience doubt, and this is not just the person who comes to Christ with doubt, like, is this really God? Does this really happen? Did he really die? Did he really rise again? Some of us come with our own doubt, like, I believe this stuff, but is it really true? I mean, why does this stuff keep happening in my life because I thought God loved me? Or, you know, I keep doing this, and I think this is what God's supposed to do, but, but my reality and what, you know, the Bible says, I can't make these things mesh, and I can't make these things together, and we struggle with doubt, and I think one of the darkest places that we can find ourselves, and I think even as a Christ follower we can find ourselves, is in this seat of doubt, like, am I getting this right? Like, I've, I've, I've put a lot of eggs in this basket here, and I'm not sure it's even correct. And so we see the darkness of doubt, which can lead to hopelessness or cynicism or emptiness or dissatisfaction. But we see these friends here, Mary, who struggles with the the darkness of loss, and Peter, the darkness of regret, and Mary, the darkness of injustice, and Thomas, the darkness of doubt. Because why? Because Jesus had died. But the story didn't end there, did it? They took Jesus down from that cross. They buried him in a tomb. They tried to secure the tomb with a, with a rock that made a, weighed as much as 2,000 pounds. And they put a, a squadron of soldiers to guard that tomb. And what happened? The earth shook. The tomb, the stone was rolled away. And Jesus walked out of that grave. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And he defeated something else that morning. He defeated Darkness. The darkness that his four friends were experiencing. It's just that his friends didn't know it. But they were about to find out. And so as we conclude this morning, I want to look at these four friends who also had something else in common. And here's what they had in common. They all had one-on-one personal experiences with Jesus after the resurrection. Let's look at them real quickly and see what we can learn from them. Let's start with Mary Magdalene. Mark tells us that she was evidently the first to see Jesus. John gives us more details in John chapter 20. And let's just read John's account here. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw the two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and another other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. You can sense the darkness, can't you? I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? He asked her. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. I'm sorry. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic Rabbani, which means "Teacher." And what happened in that moment? Light came to her darkness. Confusion was replaced with understanding. And she stood face to face with the one that she had lost. Darkness is defeated because Jesus defeated death. And death is not the end. And that means then that we will see friends and loved ones again. And this is one of the promises of Easter so I was just reviewing last night. I was looking at, on my phone, and looking at Facebook for whatever reason. And, and a feed came up of, you know, the suggested friends. And, and the name that came up was Kathy Bankston, which means nothing to you. But she was the secretary where I worked before I came here. And I just clicked on her page there. And, and a little bit down there was a link for Lorraine Wood's memorial service. And that was my stepmother who died, I think, three years ago. And it was a link to the, uh, to, to the stream of, of the service. And I'd never gone to the service because I had a wedding and I could not get there that same day. And I'd never seen the service. And I sat there last night and watched the service of my uh, stepmother, Lorraine. And it was a great service. But I love Easter because you know what? I haven't seen Lorraine for the last time. I'll see her again. And this is the promise of Easter, and this is why our darkness is dispelled. Is because Jesus said, hey, Graves, you're not strong enough. You can't keep people. I can raise them from the dead, just like I raised myself. And darkness was defeated, and we will see friends and loved ones again. The separation, it's just for now. It's not forever It's also a promise that we will be resurrected ourselves. We don't have to fear death. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what he did when he died on that cross, how he defeated sin, how he defeated death and rose again, when we put our faith in him, it's a promise that we ourselves will be resurrected one day. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of the grave. And we don't live in that darkness. Then Jesus appeared to Peter on a couple of occasions, actually. Let me just focus on one that shows up in, in the John, the book of John, chapter 21. It's where Jesus goes and finds Peter fishing. And he invites Peter to join him for breakfast. And they come to the shore there, and they're eating breakfast together, and, and Jesus simply says to Peter, do you love me? And it was a question to say, hey, you denied me, but is that how you really feel? Peter's like, "Yeah, Lord, I love you," but there's a little hesitation there. So Jesus asks again, "Do you love me?" "Yes, I love you." "Do you do you love me, Peter?" "Yes, I love you." And Jesus says to Peter, "What? Feed my sheep." He's reinstating Peter. He's saying, "You know what? What's past is past. That denial thing, the, the, the you know, said you didn't know me. That's gone. It doesn't matter, Peter." It doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm here with you now and you are forgiven. And the promise of Easter is the fact that we can find forgiveness and that regret that weighs us down can be defeated. And that darkness can be overcome. We can be forgiven for our sins. And not only can we be forgiven for our sins, our relationships can be restored as well. Our relationships with each other but our relationships also with God. Darkness can be defeated. And then we see Jesus appear to the other Mary. Her story is told in Luke chapter 24, we think, and I'll explain here. This is where Jesus, on the same day that he was resurrected, was on the, well, we'll read it here. Now that same day that he was resurrected, two of them, two of the disciples of Jesus, not the 12, but some of the closer followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And if you'll back up a slide there, it says one of them, the disciples, there's two disciples there. We're only given the names of one of them. A guy by the name of Cleopas, or what a lot of scholars believe his name also could have been Clopas. Just alternate spellings of that same name. And if you remember I said earlier there's a name to remember here. Somebody was the wife of Clopas, it was Mary. And it's very possible, and many scholars believe this too, that these two disciples that were walking down this road were a husband, Clopas, and his wife, Mary. Mary. And what were they discussing? They were discussing the injustice of the crucifixion. And what does Jesus say to them? And you can read this on your own if you like. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. And he actually rebukes them. He says, he had to suffer. The Messiah had to suffer. The prophet said so. Why? So that justice could be taken care of. So all the injustice of the world could be heaped on him as he died on that cross. And it was a statement that day that the darkness of injustice could be overcome. Injustice had been cared for. And whether you're grieved by the world of injustice that you lived in or whether that you are experiencing justice yourself, you can can escape that darkness and know that all of that injustice Jesus died for. And it was unjust. That he died as an innocent man, but it was just that the sins of the world be punished. But Jesus is saying, "I'll take it, I'll take it." And all that injustice he took in himself, and it's a statement also that justice will ultimately prevail. And we look at a lot of the wrongs in the world, and we look at a lot of the wrongs in our lives, and we're saying, like, "Will this ever be okay? Yes, it will be. And that's the promise of Easter, In darkness can be overcome. And then Jesus appeared to Thomas, and this was a week later. This story is told in John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. We can read this here. Now Thomas, the twin, also known as Didymus, the twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the door, or though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "Peace be with you." And then he said to Thomas, "Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe." Then Thomas said to him. My Lord and my God. Jesus told them, Because you have seen me and you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and who have yet believed. Thomas, the darkness of doubt was lifted in an instant. And the promise of Easter is this, that God is okay with our doubts. Jesus is okay with these doubts And when Jesus comes to Thomas, he doesn't really rebuke him. He just says, hey, I know you're struggling. Here, let me show you something. And when we struggle with our doubts, that's not a threat to Jesus. He knows that. He understands that we're going to struggle with that. In fact, that last verse says, what? Blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. There's going to be some of us who don't get to see. We weren't there that day. And yet he says, okay, I'll help you. I'll help you in this doubt. And Jesus is okay with our doubts. And Jesus also makes the statement in that moment that we can live with assurance. Jesus was who he claimed to be. He did what he promised to do. He died for our sins, as was required. And he rose again, and we can be assured of that. That's what Easter is all about. And so we have the story of four friends who experienced this incredible tragedy where they watched this person that they loved die. And the experience of walking for at least a couple days in darkness, what I would call the darkness of the soul. Mary Magdalene walked in the darkness of lust. Peter in the darkness of regret. Mary, the mother of James, the wife of Clopas, in the darkness of injustice. Thomas? In the darkness of doubt. And we have the story of four friends who, after the resurrection, had a personal encounter with Jesus, who, one-on-one with them, said, Here, let me deal with, let me deal with your loss. There's no loss here. Let me deal with your regret. We can move past it. Let, let me deal with your injustice. Okay, God is just. It's going to be okay. Let me deal with your doubts. Let me assure you. Don't miss this. They had these encounters with Jesus not because they went looking for him, he went looking for them. And that's the story of Easter. The story of Easter is Jesus who goes looking for us as we struggle with our loss. It's Jesus who goes looking for us as we deal with our regret. It's Jesus who goes looking for us as we struggle with injustice. It's Jesus who comes looking for us as we flounder in our doubts. There's one more story to consider this morning. And that story is yours. And maybe as you look at your story, you can relate to one of these stories and say, oh, that's that's where I am right now. In these stories, you know, if you're a Christ follower, you're not exempt. But the story of Easter is that Jesus is coming, looking for you because he wants to take that darkness away from you. question. This, at the crucifixion, the dark came. And it said it was there from noon to three. That was the physical dark. But the dark also came to the people who were there that day. Who desperately needed light, who desperately needed morning, who desperately needed Jesus. And maybe that's you too. The good news is, he's alive. And he's looking for you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we are grateful for the fact that we stand here this morning and we celebrate you are alive. And because you're alive, we have the confidence that we'll see loved ones again. And because you're alive, we can find forgiveness and we can put regret to bed. And because you're alive We can be confident that it will be okay in the end and justice will be cared for. And because you're alive, we can be convinced even in the midst of our doubts. And so, Jesus, I pray for every person who sits in this room. You know what the need is. You know what the darkness is. And there are darknesses that we haven't even mentioned here. I pray that you would come, and I pray that each person would sense your coming to them in this moment. And it gives you just a minute to reflect. Maybe you have a conversation with Jesus to say, "Here's what I need," or "Here's where I want to say thanks." And maybe this morning, as you sit there, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know what that's about, but you get an idea, don't you? He's the God. Came as a perfect man and died on a cross for sin that he never committed, so that the justice of God could be satisfied, so that you could be forgiven, given freedom, and given hope of eternity if you will just place your faith in him. A simple cry of your heart, sometimes uttered in a prayer, but God, Jesus, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You've come for my sin. I believe you are who you said you were. I believe you did. On the cross, what you said you'd do, I believe you rose again. Please forgive me. Come into my life. You can breathe that prayer where you said. That's the hope of Easter. That's the solution for darkness. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to give your life. But Jesus, thank you for your power that rose again, victorious over the grave, victorious over death, victorious over darkness we praise you this morning. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us this morning?